Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome to The Hash. It's Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. That's Jen Sanasi. We're the usuals. we got two special guest stars on the show today. Sam Kessler, the real Danny Nelson. Let's do this thing. How you doing, guys? Doing well. It sounded like you were calling me the real Danny Nelson, and I was confused. Well, um, that's yeah. a fake one. My bad. Anyway, <laughs> forget all that nonsense. Let's talk about Binance. I'm starting this off today. MasterCard ends Binance card partnership in latest blow to crypto giant. A bit dramatic of a headline, I would say, by CNBC. But I think this is certainly in line with the reputational risk that is associated with Binance right now. And MasterCard acting on that reputational risk is saying, hey, we're not doing those cards in the Middle East and Latin America anymore. We don't want your name on our product. So I think it stems from a lot of stuff going on with Binance that we've been documenting over these last few months as regulators worldwide kick the tires and understand if anything shady is going on, including US uh, authorities. So I'm going to toss this straight to Danny for his thoughts on this one. What do you think? MasterCard, Binance, breakup? Does it matter? What, 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 what do we think of this? Well, it certainly matters. And I don't know the numbers of this deal, but let's pretend that I do for a second. Uh, let's just think about it. If you're MasterCard, nice. you want to stick with the business decisions that are making you money. I don't know in this environment how much money this was bringing in, right? Like how much revenue was being driven for MasterCard by this tie up with Binance? And then does that revenue make it worth the reputational risk of just being associated with Binance? And the answer, regardless of the numbers, which I don't know, but we'll pretend to, obviously was no. And I don't think that that's, that bodes well for any crypto payment device. You have to remember the way these cards generally work. You can't pay with Bitcoin from your Bitcoin wallet, right? At a point of sale. What you can do is have it in some sort of vault, some sort of account where that can be drawn from by a credit card processor, such as MasterCard or Visa or another layer that feeds into them. And then they pay with dollars or euros or, or pesos or whatever at the point of sale. So the, the merchant doesn't actually have to deal with the crypto and no, no cryptos going across MasterCard and Visa's networks, but the name Binance is still associated. And you know, that's just not good in the eyes of MasterCard to be associated. Sam, uh, what's your take on this? 
Yeah, I think um, if you look at this from both ends, both from the MasterCard and Visa end, as well as from the, the Binance end, I think the best way to view this is in terms of reputation and marketing. As somebody like Danny, who does not know the exact numbers, my last recollection when I was trying to kind of learn about this stuff a while back was that this card thing was not actually a huge part of Binance's business, something in like the single digit percentage points in terms of its overall revenue. But it was a key way or seen as a key long-term way for Binance to recruit new users and to turn specifically Bitcoin and other virtual currencies into day-to-day payment methods, which is something that crypto has always kind of seen as its eventual golden goose and just hasn't come to happen. So when you look at this from a reputation and marketing standpoint on the Binance end, and then as on like a crypto, you know, writ large, and I think the erosion of these partnership deals from Visa, MasterCard, and probably long-term with other companies and other cards, it's actually going to be a blow more towards the idea of crypto in general being a sort of payment method. I think it's less of just like a Binance, MasterCard, Visa thing. And the reputation of these assets as those sorts of payment methods is, you know, going to go away. Zach, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I am long-term bullish on stablecoins being used for payments in new and novel ways. But again, I think your point generally stands as it relates to like these cards, which I think historically these cards have been very overblown, right? There'd be like a lot of like, yeah, there's a Visa card attached to Coinbase or something. And I think a lot of it was just sort of very far again from the roots of crypto and probably ultimately not that impactful outside of just some initial euphoria of, oh, the big brands like us now. So now we get to see the flip side of that play out. And I think that's all well and good. But I will say, despite your proclamation, I think there is a bullish case for stablecoins on these open blockchains being used at scale to do cross-border payments much more conveniently than these existing cards are configured to do. But I got to get Jen's take. I got to throw it to you. Well, I tried to use one of these cards, not the Binance one, and it has never worked. So I am, because of that experience, just not bullish on any of these um, credit card exchange partnerships. My money is still there. I should probably get it off at some point. I agree with all of you. I think from a business and PR perspective, MasterCard looked at what has been going on with Binance, not only in the US, but in countries all over the world. They've exited Canada. They've exited the Netherlands. They are facing regulatory scrutiny in various different countries and just thought, you know, this probably isn't worth it. From MasterCard's point of view, they've been exploring Web3 too. You know, I think last month we heard that they had a bunch of partnerships for this Web3 Music Accelerator. They were recently talking about CBDCs, a consortium with Ripple and Fireblocks. And so I think they're starting to explore where their foothold is in the Web3 space and starting to realize that maybe it's not in these exchange partnerships. And Zach, to your note on the stablecoins, you have turned me. I am also becoming very interested and bullish on stablecoins as payments, especially after PayPal's Pi. Before the end of next week, I will say Pi USD properly. We have the Pi USD and then we have that new Shopify uh, partnership with Solana's payment infrastructure where people are going to be able to use USDC. So I think the credit cards are out and the stablecoins are in. And that is my hot take here. You are going to be sitting pretty when USDC pumps to $2 after these proclamations, my friend. Let's do this thing. Anyway, let's change gears. Sam, you got next story? Yeah. Uh, so after Wednesday night's GOP nomination debate um, that many of us, hopefully all of us here watched, um, it was interesting to say the least. We, we decided to kind of take a look at blockchain betting markets 
to see what folks think in terms of how these different candidates, of course, minus Donald Trump, who was not on the debate stage, we wanted to see how these different candidates were, you know, matching up against one another. And broadly speaking, it does seem like on Polymarket, which is the largest blockchain based betting market, um, Vivek Ramaswamy is ahead of Ron DeSantis, who was the presumptive second place for a little while, it seemed, behind Donald Trump. So Ramaswamy, according to the markets, is ahead of DeSantis, which is reflective in wider polling. But I think kind of this this story, I kind of had some fun writing it up, gives us an opportunity to talk a little bit about inflows that we've been seeing into these betting markets, even though they're on pretty weird regulatory standing in the United States. Can't place bets on them. You can only view them. Zach, I see you nodding. What do you think? I don't know if Mark Hochstein had anything to do with this story, but Mark Hochstein loves prediction markets. Mark Hochstein, Coindesk's long-term executive editor, he loves looking at this stuff to see what people are doing when it comes to putting their money where their mouth is. So I see a no from you. It was not a sign. So credit to you for internalizing Mark's love <laughs> of prediction markets. boy. I think that the Vivek surge makes sense. Aside from some pretty sus comments on climate change, there was a ton of Vivek simping on crypto Twitter during the debate. <laughs> Seems to be the new Andrew Yang, etc. So sure, people are sort of inclined to be a bit more degenerate and put some money where they think they stand to gain a little bit of money. Whether or not Vivek has any chance of unseating Donald Trump as the presumptive Republican nominee, I think most people think that's not the case. But that doesn't mean there's not money to be made in some of these prediction markets that are supported in Web3, as is the case with Polymarket, but also in Web2. There are also traditional prediction markets that are, I think, sort of carved out as like for research purposes or something. That's like the weird carve out in their, in their continued legality. So anyway, yeah, the Vivek candidacy seems to animate a lot of people on crypto Twitter. So I can imagine why he would see a pump uh, following this debate. But Danny, I'll toss it to you. Yeah, I just think it's a bad bet, right? Like, it, forget about all the crypto nonsense, right? Crypto, the only thing it has to do with here is that's what you pay the money in, and that's what that's what you'll get rewarded in if you win. The way you win if you bet on Vivek is if he wins the nomination, right? Is he going to win the nomination? Why would he? He's not going to. Is he even going to come in second place behind Trump? I don't think so. Why would he? He is the mini Trump, or at least that's what he's presenting himself as, whether or not you agree with the wiseness. Actually, no, I would say that's an unwise political decision because Trump is the best at being Trump. And as long as Trump is still here to be Trump, the people who like Trump have no reason to go elsewhere. So I don't know why Vivek's surge right now would be more than just a flash in the pan. I think that at, at least when, if we're looking at who's going to come in second in the Republican nomination, one of the other candidates is probably going to make a, a stronger showing of it in the long run. I have two quick things and a question before, Zach, I pop it back over to you. I just want to note, crypto was not mentioned anywhere in the debate. Nothing about CBDCs, nothing about stablecoin, nothing about Bitcoin. And I also want to note that Miami Mayor Francis Suarez didn't make it to the debate despite his public proclamations that he was going to be there. So there was actually nothing crypto about it. And so it was interesting to see these numbers pop up on Polymarket. And Sam, I just want to ask you, in your reporting, uh, do these numbers suggest that maybe U.S. citizens are accessing the platform despite it not being available here in some savvy way? Thank you for picking up on that. Um, so is it suggestive of that? I don't know. Like, I think if anything, I mean, broadly, um, this is something people are looking at around the world. And I think it probably is suggestive of that. There's also only $5 million in this, which is, I say only, it's still a large number, but it pales in comparison. I think I have in the story to over 200 million, some estimates of 500 million in global betting markets on the last presidential election. So beyond, I guess, the US side of this, 
I do think that this is suggestive. Um, you know, the $5 million that we already see on this, like Danny said, not competitive at all presidential nomination race on the GOP end. I think that all the inflows that we've seen are showing that there is still a lot of interest in these platforms in spite of the regulatory scrutiny, in spite of fines that have been paid out to the CFTC. And we are probably going to see a lot of money flowing into these markets for a much more contentious Trump-Biden maybe matchup, whoever it ends up being. All right. So Danny and Sam are out on Vivek shares. They are long Trump mugshot NFTs. We're very much looking forward to them making that investment and making a quick buck when that inevitably gets released. Months ago, we invited NFT artists to reach out and join the show to share their experiences with NFTs and their outlook, especially as trading volume continues to drop month after month. Bobby reached out to share his story. He's jumped from the traditional art world to embrace opportunities in Web3. Join me now in welcoming artist Bobby Lee. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Thanks for watching. And thanks for reaching out. We love it when our fans reach out and join the show. Let's let's talk about this. That conversation we were having, we were saying, you know, it's easy enough to set up an NFT project, but maybe the barrier comes when it comes to like marketing and advertising. And that's where, you know, the traditional art world kind of steps in and helps artists sell their artwork. Talk to us about your journey from the traditional art world to Web3 and maybe weigh in on if you face some of those barriers. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I've been making art and music for as long as I can remember. I've been showing in art galleries for a couple of decades now, uh, operated in an art gallery for a couple of years, been sort of working in the arts in one way or another for my whole adult life and was in crypto. And at the, I guess the end of 2020 or so, started to catch wind of NFTs and started to look into it and was discouraged because it was just hard to just searching around to figure out where to get started. And randomly joined Twitter one day to keep up with people like you and to follow the crypto markets. And I was there for about a day when I realized, oh, this is where these NFT people are. And um, yeah, just quickly started making connections, making friends. Uh, Twitter spaces started shortly after that. And so for me, I was really excited about not just the all the potentials of having a new market and a new audience, but just the possibilities of being able to connect with artists and art lovers all over the world. Bobby, we've been talking about NFT royalties going to zero lately with OpenSea and others sort of driving that conversation. I really want to know, like from a from a business perspective, how that impacts you. Mm -hmm. What's your take on this royalty debate? It seems to have been a race to the bottom. And I was wondering if it really did hurt your bottom line. What do you think? Yeah, so it's definitely unfortunate. Um, it's been, you know, I, I feel like it's sort of baked in at this point because, you know, volumes dropped off maybe summer of 2022 and have just continued that trend ever since then. You know, I think NFT projects, NFT artists have sort of been, have just realized for quite a while now that royalties aren't really something that you can depend on to operate as, as a business. And so um, you see a lot of artists, you know, turning to other, you know, Web2 products, physical products, or just putting more NFTs out there to generate revenue. But for me, it really hasn't made a whole lot of difference just because that's just the way it's been for, for quite a while now as royalties haven't been bringing in too much. Okay, that's good to know. We will inflect the next royalty conversation with that on the ground perspective, I thank you. Uh, Bobby, I got one for you. Is it viable for new digital artists who don't already have a name for themselves to play around in the NFT space right now? Like, would you recommend that new artists even try to dip their toes in at this moment? Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I didn't have a name for myself as, a, as an artist really outside of my home state um, when I got in. And so, you know, I think 
the, the better known you are, the better your the faster your trajectory will be as far as getting uh, recognized and, and getting attention there. Uh, but no, I think it's the kind of thing that, you know, if you're making good work and if you um, can operate within the technological uh, confines of the space and are um, reasonably uh, pleasant to be around in <laughs> social media, uh, you've got a good shot. One one thing that I've always been curious about is I feel like kind of in the earlier days of um, NFT art, there were all of these programs that you'd see where people would be attaching, you know, meet and greets or, you know, Zoom calls or, or dinners and stuff um, or, or whatever other add-ons to a purchase of a, a given artist's NFT. And that mm-hmm. kind of faded away as people wanted to focus more on making the NFT about the art itself. And I'm curious how you've seen that trend progress whether you think that that was kind of just a blip, a moment in time when we saw those add-ons, like, is it just Mm -hmm. going to be NFT art? Um, How's the format going to change? That's a really good question. I I still see some of that. And I think, you know, if anything, you might see more artists return to that as they are looking for uh, more incentives. You know, as the market goes down, they're looking for ways to incentivize purchasing their work. And so, you know, you might see more of that uh, return again. I think you're also seeing more sort of gamification of the space. And that's really something that uh, certainly distinguishes NFT art from the traditional art world is, you know, you've got these possibilities of, you know, adding a little bit of fun to it. where You really couldn't with just art on the wall. Bobby, I'm curious what your experience has been with the Flower Girls. You were part of launching that project. I believe you're on the board of that project. It was supported by, you know, Reese Witherspoon, Gwyneth Paltrow, Gary Vee. Is it good to have celebrities kind of pump you up at the beginning of a project? Like, have you been able to maintain the hype around that? That's a good question. I, you know, I think any attention, any um, volume is probably good. We wouldn't have been able to sell out. We sold out in something like 30 minutes, which was um, fast even at the time. This was the end of, the, of 2021. Really, all thanks to Gary Vaynerchuk. And obviously, you know, when the celebrities jumped in, I think that was sometime in the spring that certainly drove a lot of sales. The question was, is it good? I, I'm not sure. And uh, can you sustain that? I think the answer is probably no, unless those celebrities continue to do that. You know, you see the, the very tip top of our chart is when Reese Witherspoon and, and all of them jumped in and then kind of has declined since then with the rest of the space. And so it is, yeah, it's very hard to uh, continue that. And part of it's just the, it's not as uh, trendy as it was. And you know, Gwyneth Paltrow is one of our, our holders and, you know, she's she's gotten into a little bit of trouble and so have some other celebrities. And so I think I think a lot of celebrities kind of want to keep their distance uh, for the time being. And so I don't know if um, at this point you're going to see a lot of celebrities jumping in, but we'll see. All right. Last quick one. Uh, also forward looking, you know, what are you thinking for the NFT market in 2024? Not even the market, but what do you what's your prediction for what the NFT story will be next year? Uh, you know, I think it's going to follow the crypto story. Um, you know, I think if, if, you know, crypto has, I think, shown a lot of resilience. And so if it can continue that, obviously, this week hasn't been the best week <laughs> recently. But I think, you know, if it can continue to be resilient, and if it can enter uh, another bull cycle, then NFTs will follow. Um, I think otherwise, <laughs> NFTs will pretty much stay where where they are. I do think you're going to see more one of one artists um, do well. I think the royalty conversation, one of the effects of that's going to be projects are going to be, they're probably going to be fewer projects and a smaller portion of those are going to stick around. And so one of one artists are going to be able to take care of their communities better than a, than a project can, I think. All right, Bobby, thank you so much for joining the show. 
Thanks for reaching yeah. out. Thanks for Thanks watching. Thanks for having me. Of course, it was fun. Thanks for being here. That was fun. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks. That was NFT artist Bobby Lee. Now we're going to talk about some Pepe. Danny, what do you got? Absolutely. We got a story from the dark depths of... there. You know what? You know, I usually come here to talk about DAOs. Today, we don't <laughs> even need that level of wonky abstraction. This is just a, a plain old weird, maybe kind of rug. Who knows? Here's what happened. Uh, yesterday, the multi-sig for Pepe coin, which is one of those meme coins, a, a newer one, a m much less well-known than Doge or Sheeb, but just another one of those tokens that are associated with a meme that just have no point. Well, this project had a multi-sig with around, let's say, 30 million, 30 trillion Pepe tokens. And it's it just, that's about 4% of all the tokens out there. Yesterday, it sent 16 trillion of those tokens to a series of crypto exchanges, presumably to sell them. And the market responded by dumping. Pepe coin is down, I think, 20% now. It's far, far, much farther down from when I first started looking at this. And there's just a whole lot of questions as to why the multi-sig would do this. There really isn't that many questions, if you ask me, because it's pretty clear the founders of this project have decided to... Uh, let's say, uh, execute some liquidity and get, get millions of dollars worth of, of their position. But they did it in a weird way. Now, the multi-sig had eight signatures on it. In order to, to send a transaction, you need five of them to approve. That's how the multi-sig works in this scenario. Before this money went out yesterday, five of those eight uh, signers approved a change in how the multi-sig worked, such that you only now need two multi-sig signers to pass things through to initiate transactions. Which is just a really weird thing to do, especially because, well, if you already have the power of five people to rug the wallet, why would you move it down to two? You'll need to do one transaction anyway. I don't know what's going on. Sam, do you have any insight here? Oh, definitely not. Um, that's a good question, though. Do I have much insight? I mean, I feel like this is just such an example of, you know, what can go wrong when you're betting on a meme coin. Or, you know... It should be hard for anybody to be, even get angry. Um, I, I feel like these are pretty transparently, you know, games that, you know, happen to have money involved. And things like this sometimes will happen. Um, I don't really have much insight beyond that. Zach, do you have anything more insightful to say? I'm going to take the maturation angle, kind of an odd one, right? But this is fascinating <laughs> to me that the market saw this and acted so quickly, right? There are clearly professional watchers of these various assorted meme coins who know that there is money to be made and are treating it seriously, right? Meme coins, they're dead serious. People were able to get out before being uh, victims of a potential massive exit liquidity march. So the idea that these coins are professionally watched is something that I think I'm uh, tuned into because of this story. And I find that fascinating, just the level of diehard observational skills that meme coin traders are exhibiting by making this market activity happen. So that, to me, is the takeaway, and I'm sticking with it. Jen, what do you got? I'm stuck on the question as to why these five people would approve two people to sign the multi-sig. I'm just stuck there, and I'm confused. I am just full of confusion. So I'm going to leave it there. You guys should go onto Twitter or X or whatever it's called now and just look up Pepe with like the dollar sign and you can see people talking about it. And once you get through all the airdrop scams, you can find some people who are really actually too, which is at this point maybe, very defensive of their favorite meme token saying that liquidity, um, you know, to, I don't know, however, it had enough liquidity that only um, an 11% drop indicates that, you know, maybe this thing has, has legs long term. 
Hey, I don't think markets, so. Maybe it uh, market, has Markets going to market. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. That's up there. Uh, that is upon that one. Wow. All right. Anyway, we'll shut it down on that one. Thank you for the frog leg pun. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Danny Nelson. Thank you, Sam Kessler. Lovely as always to have you on the hash. We hope to see you soon. And you go have a great weekend. We'll talk to you later. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.